Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. After an exhilarating, amazing, successful summer, the USMNT are ready for World Cup qualifiers and the roster is out. Greg Berhalter is ready. So is Jimmy Conrad. Kigo Lasso, USMNT World Cup qualifiers roster begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kigo Lasso. Thank you for watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods, thank you so much. By the way, hopefully later on we'll have Drake Cordero to join us, our amazing play-by-play lead for CBS and Paramount Plus. But Jimmy Conrad, USMNT, roster is out. How are you? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I got dressed up for the occasion. This is big news. We didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2018. We actually haven't played in a World Cup game since 2014. So this was a big occasion as these guys start their adventure of qualifying for 2022. Three games in seven to 10 days is no joke. And so uh, Greg Berhalter called in 26. You can travel with as many players as you want, but only 23 can ultimately make that final roster for each particular game. But I think this is a good group. It's a nice mesh. I would say, of what we saw in the Nations League and what we saw in the Gold Cup. Well, and listen, I'm so happy Jimmy Conrad is here, aside from being a good friend and a good colleague, former US MNT star himself, a World Cup, of course, Copa America, of course, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous resume, Jimmy Conrad. So your opinion, your opinion is always worthy. But here, it's like, you better listen to Jimmy Conrad. He's, <laughs> Heath Pierce's ears are getting all red and stuff, by the way. Uh, and by the way, everybody, as we look ahead to the World Cup qualifiers for the USMNT, and of course, as well, CONCACAF Mexico will be part of that conversation as well, and others, of course, Jimmy and Heath will be previewing and recapping the matches for Que Golazo as I cry over Peru on the other side in South America. <laughs> so this is all about the USMNT. So Jimmy, straight away, before we get into the roster and just some thoughts on what's going on, and hopefully Dre will join us later, etc. As a former player, what does it, you know, when you see a three-match window, it's a lot, Jimmy Conrad. What do you make of it? Well, they're trying to condense a uh, usual 18-month schedule into seven months due to the pandemic and everything else. So they're playing catch-up in a lot of different ways. Because every team is subjected to the same thing, there's no clear advantages, I, I would say, with regard to how this is going. But it's not ideal, and it's a lot, especially for the players that have to fly over from Europe to prepare quickly, to get uh, acclimated quickly to the time zone, the climate, whatever it may be. And uh, the climate, I'll say, is a little bit different in Europe than it is down in El Salvador or in Honduras and San Pedro Sula, where they're going to be playing two of these next three games. They have a home game against Canada, so we'll see how they do. Canada does have our number. I feel like they're going to try to go toe-to-toe with us. And when they get Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies and all their top guys back, that's going to be a tough test for us. So this is going to be an interesting uh, first three games. And that first one away to El Salvador against a team who hasn't been in this spot in this last phase of qualifying for quite some time is going to be difficult. I really do believe that. The last time we played them in a World Cup qualifier down there in San Salvador was 2009. We were down 2-0, 
And we needed Josie Altador and Frankie Haduk. Yes, shout out to the old school Frankie Haduk scoring late to make it 2-2. And that was with a team that, like on ours that was super talented and super experienced, right? We had we had Boca Negra out there, Pablo Mastrian, and we had some guys that have been around and been in the trenches. This particular group only has six players that have played in World Cup qualifying before. So I wonder what's going to happen because I'm going to use that famous Mike Tyson quote. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And when you look at El Salvador, they know they have to punch us in the face. They have to make us feel uncomfortable. And not only will the team do it with like chippy fouls or doing whatever they have to do to get under our skin, so will their fans before the game. They'll try to call your room. They'll play music outside of your hotel. They'll do whatever they can to throw you off. That's just part of the gamesmanship. I, in particular, loved it. I love that it mattered that much. That these games mattered that much to, to people. And so I always like raised uh, my, my concentration and focus because I just enjoyed the process in a lot of, a lot of different ways. But for other players, especially if they're new, it can be quite intimidating. So getting off to a good start is important. And I'll actually reference Brentford versus Arsenal. When Brentford scored against Arsenal to start the Premier League this season, them scoring first changed it. If we give yeah. El Salvador that first goal... Yeah then El Salvador is going to think they have a chance to get a result against us. And that's not where we want to be. If we want to quiet all the haters in El Salvador right away, we need to score first. So that's kind of my overall thoughts with regard to the schedule and obviously leading into the first game. Absolutely. By the way, Dre Cordero is ready to join us. So anytime he's ready, Dre Cordero. Love it. No drum. No drum this time, Jimmy Conrad. Sorry, sorry, Dre. I'll do it right this time. Dre Cordero. Yeah, and energy energy's not there. I'm feeling it, and I appreciate it. It's just not the same. I can get my megaphone, my Vuvuzuela. What do you? Listen, what do we want? You don't need anything. You got Jimmy Conrad and me here praising Dre Cordero, a lead play-by-play announcer, by the way, for CBS and Paramount+. Plus. He was part of the Nations League. Amazing tournament where the USMNT won as well, Serie A as well. And he is getting ready. So, Dre, first of all, welcome, my friend, your debut for Kego Lasso Pod. How are you? Go, Dre! I'm, I'm really now that uh, Jimmy's brought out the bullhorn. Uh, you guys are two of my favorite in the in the industry. Uh, Jimmy, we missed you in Denver. Uh, we made our little morning ritual of, of, you know, getting breakfast at the local diner before going and eating up Honduras uh, and Mexico in the semifinals and final. Uh, we needed you there. Hopefully next time uh, when the World Cup qualifiers kick off. That's yeah, right. I'm, I'm excited to be there. Um, at some point it'll happen, though. But uh, it's great to see you, my friend. I know that we shared some time over yep. at BN Sports, so I'm glad you came over to join this team, because this team is awesome. Welcome to the squad. <laughs> baby, it's a great team, and Dre Cordero is a main part of it. So, Dre, listen, before uh, we get going into the actual roster, I wanted some initial thoughts from Jimmy, especially because now we're entering a three-match window as the USMNT after a really good accelerating summer. Get ready for World Cup qualifiers. What, what are your initial thoughts as they get ready for th this uh, three-headed monster in this window to cap play catch-up, as Jimmy was saying? Yeah, my thoughts, right? I thought you said you wanted the Jimmy's thoughts. I, I think... Uh, right, listen, I get, enough, I get enough thoughts of, uh, of Jimmy. I want your thoughts right now. I, I can't imagine he's so um, soft-spoken most of the time. <laughs> I am. Uh, you know, things could not have gone better. You, you talked about uh, the Nations League and how, how well things went in the summer. Uh, you consider how badly everything went ahead of the final stages of 2018. I think Brett Berhalter could not have asked for a better situation where two different um, national team setups, uh, you know, don't necessarily dominate because I wouldn't call what, what the U.S. did at the Gold Cup dominate, but but find ways to win with players who aren't necessarily, you know, your go-to guys for the starting lineup when, when the games start to really matter in terms of uh, Qatar 2022. And so uh, to, to play as well as they did against Mexico in that final, uh, where we actually saw this team of, of individuals who had won plenty collectively at big European clubs uh, come together and win one first 
collective triumph and that sort of team building exercise that Jimmy will be very, very familiar with, um, then swap out almost the entirety of the roster or, or all of the starters and still have that kind of success. Berhalter tried out 37 different players and we could look at the, the 26 that did make the roster and still pick out maybe three or four who were disappointed aren't there. That's not to say that the guys that are there don't deserve it. Quite the opposite. It just tells you how good this, this player pool is. And it's not just the promise of being good. It's the actual winning that they did this summer that really propels them into these qualifiers. Yeah, I agree with Dre. I, I think you make a good point with regard to maybe the two versions of this team. The Nations League team, obviously our biggest guns, uh, quote unquote, our most talented team. And I like that we found a way to win that one. We didn't play particularly well in the final against Mexico in the Nations League. We went down three minutes in, uh, 1-0. We found a way to get a result. And mainly against Mexico, we do it through set pieces. And then when we play them in the Gold Cup final, yes, and even out throughout the Gold Cup, I don't think there were a lot of games where it looked like we were the out and out like strongest team. But uh, to your point, we found a way to win. And I like that there's a, a straight line between these two squads is that they share that commonality of we know how to fight. We know how to cope with adversity and we can still get results. That's going to be really important when you're going down. You have to grind out a result in San Salvador or San Pedro Sula and these really difficult places to play where the field's all wavy and the grass is all spongy. And they try to do everything they possibly can to make it as uncomfortable as possible. So with regard to the players that I think you're mentioning. Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore jump out at me as like our two right fullbacks, outside backs that aren't there. Now we have Dest in there. We have DeAndre Yedlin. But those guys I feel like are better as wingbacks. So it looks like to me that we're going to have a back three, three center backs. We have six center backs that got called in. And yeah. I think that's going to really shape our formation moving forward throughout this whole week of three games in seven days. Yeah, I yeah, want to get into this roster straight away. Sorry, Drake, because you're good. You don't worry. You're going to get your chance here because I really want to get into this roster. I know that everybody's winning. By the way, Pulisic, uh, Reina, McKenney, they're all headline. Pulisic obviously still recuperating from COVID, et cetera. But it's a very intriguing squad, this squad. Ten players are on clubs that have qualified for the Champions League group stage but now that's moved to you know we got 13 in total playing in the champions league one notable call-up of course is fc dallas uh ricardo pepe this is a tremendous story that we will get to in a second there's so much diversity both from europe mls based uh brendan Aronson, a favorite of the show of course we talked about josh Sargent as well who scored a few goals for norwich city in the carabao cup drake cordero when we're looking at this roster anything else that speaks out to you miles robinson of course doing so well in the gold cup yeah. what do you think Honestly, we could probably do a show on each one of these players because it's been sort of that kind, that kind of summer. Uh, but one guy who you will not hear mentioned a ton um, up on, from now until that September 2nd uh, kickoff in San Salvador, um, maybe because it's such a given, is Tyler Adams. Remember, Tyler Adams was not healthy for the Nations League, only you know featured at the very end of that. So we didn't really get a chance to see him with this with this group. He didn't feature at all, obviously, in the, in the uh, Gold Cup. He wasn't part of that squad. And I think that's a player who's really a rock to this team in the midfield. You're talking about uh, a midfield now with Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams in it, whether they decide to play with three at the back uh, and four across the middle or, or if it's five defenders, those two guys could get it done in the middle. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's almost he's been so out of sight and out of mind with Tyler Adams that we haven't realized what a big um, return that is to get him back for, for World Cup qualifying. Um, George Bello is one that I think could get some minutes on this team. I, I think somebody will, we will probably classify him as a surprise because he was one of those guys on the bubble, but he did well enough at the Gold Cup. He's been such a, a, a good professional in his short time at Atlanta. He's held up as Atlanta United sort of you know, golden child for the academy, that that pathway to professionalism. Um, he's a player who, if we do play with wingbacks, uh, could could cause some real trouble. I'm trying to get at the guys that aren't, you know, Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic, who I think we will see um, not just not just perform, but potentially make a, a good impact on this U.S. national team. 
Yeah, I'm going to jump in and uh, concur with those sentiments. I like that a lot. What I do believe is that Kellen Acosta went from being a player prior to the Nations League before both tournaments this summer, like, oh, oh Greg Berhalter is calling in Kellen Acosta again. And then after these two tournaments, everybody's like, yeah, Kellen Acosta has got to be in the starting lineup. And I love that he's changed the perception of, of his value to the team. And I almost think it's been so valuable, his performances, that you partner him in the middle of midfield with Tyler Adams. And in some ways, you have that double pivot. You let Weston McKinney kind of sit in front of them, and he can kind of roam. I think Weston McKinney does best when he roams and tries to find those numerical advantages in and around. Does he go wide to maybe create a little 2v1 with Christian Pulisic? Does he go to the other side and do Giorena? Does he up, go up higher and, and support whoever the striker is going to end up being? Or can he drop off and do a little bit of the dirty work on the defensive side of the ball? We might not even need him with that double pivot of, of Adams and Acosta. And when I look at Adams and Acosta, and that obviously this isn't like for like, but they're there. And another team that does this to great effect is Bayern Munich with Goretzka and Kimmich. Two players that can sit, but also can get forward and join the attack and also make those telling passes. Tyler Adams and, and Kellen Acosta can be a little bit of that connective tissue from the defense to the attack. But but if you had a back three of three solid center backs and those two in front, we're going to be very difficult to break down. And I like that a lot. I think we're going to see the three center backs for sure. And then with regard to up top, just to talk about Ricardo Pepe, I mean, we talked about George Bello being a homegrown. Ricardo Pepe grew up in El Paso, played for an FC Dallas affiliate club when he was a kid, worked his way all the way to the first team for FC Dallas, became the youngest ever to score a hat trick in MLS history when he did it uh, earlier this season. And now he just scored the winning penalty in the All-Star game against Liga MA Keys All-Stars. I mean, everything's trending in the right direction. And I think that some of the bait to get him to, to potentially join us because he was deciding between us and Mexico was, hey, we're going to include you in the World Cup qualifiers. And now we see him in here. I'm very excited about his future. We haven't even got close to his ceiling. And I think he's going to be a very special and exciting player. He's going to get minutes. Three games in seven days is no joke. Ricardo Pepe's going to come in at some point. Hopefully he can make the most of those minutes and start to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, no, well said. Just one quick thing about Pepe, by the way, and I did say it on Twitter, is that, you know, he's a perfect example of what happens when, uh, you know, a Mexican-American or, or somebody that has a dual identity is being supported, nurtured, and in the end, no matter where he chooses, he does what he wants because he's supported. And, and there's millions of Mexican-Americans from youth academies, whatever, watching that and thinking, you know what? U.S. soccer supports me and supports the decision wherever I take it. And Pepe at this young age, I think, is a, is a great thing. And the fact that he comes from El Paso to me is, 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 is really, really great to see. All right, let me ask you, Dre, yep. anybody in this roster, is there anybody that you think deserves to be here and, and is not? Yeah, there's probably Eunice Musa, who, who's limited by a little bit of an injury. He hasn't played yet for, for the U.S. Um, in terms of like official competition, right? Because he wasn't uh, used much in the Nations League at all, if I remember. Uh, wasn't on the Gold Cup squad. Ha has been nurturing a little bit of an injury that that uh, forced him to not have a regular preseason with Valencia. Um, so he's a player that would stand out to me. I, I would echo um, the, the sentiment that we're probably going to see a back three by the exclusion of Reggie Cannon, right? Because if Cannon was there, then you imagine Cannon maybe starts on that right-hand side and Sergino Dest uh, would man that left wing at left wing back. The absence of Cannon uh, and, and the fact that they have two right backs and two left backs on the squad uh, suggests to me that it's going to be Sergino Dest on the right uh, and probably um, uh, Anthony Robinson on the left. And so I think Cannon's absence tells you something about how uh, Berhalter is probably going to approach uh, these next three games. And then Matthew Hoppe is, is a guy who everybody wanted to see, who drew the comparisons to Clint Dempsey because of his attitude. And uh, I'm, I think this is a direct quote from Twitter. He tries things, right? Like Matthew Hoppe is the kind of player who <laughs> tries things and it's exciting, it's exciting to watch. Those things don't always come off, uh, but brings a little bit of a different element 
to me, that center forward and, and to a lesser extent, the winger spots were going to be the most interesting um, in terms of who Berhalter left out. And Hoppy, who I thought a lot of us probably would have penciled in to the final roster based on a sort of breakout performance at the Gold Cup, misses out here. I think we'd written off Daryl DK at least for these World Cup qualifiers. Not to say that you know he's still a young player with a lot of football ahead of him. He can work his way back. He's hurt, though. Um, he's He's been hurt with a shoulder injury yeah, and tendonitis. Right. So just, just to throw that in there. Go ahead. Keep going. 100%. Yeah. And, and he did not look um, like his usual self yeah, during the, no, the course of the Gold Cup. Um, and so I think Hoppy... Cannon and Musa would be the three. I wouldn't call them snubs, but the three ones that jump out at me as not making this this 26. Chime in, Jim. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm just trying to think of anybody else that maybe got the snub with Daryl DK being hurt and Yunus Musa still coming back from an injury. And even if he's back and practicing, he probably doesn't have those minutes. So I can see why he uh, probably got left off. Matthew Hoppy is a bit interesting, but maybe his situation and trying to figure out how he's going to get out of Schalke is playing into this. Sammy Vines, I thought, did pretty well in the Gold Cup as well at the left-back spot. But uh, he got he got George Bello got picked over him, but he's also making a move over to Europe and trying to get through that process. So it's interesting, but uh, I like this squad. And to, to Dre's point, it's going to be interesting to see which collection of players that Berhalter likes to play and who he likes to start. I mean, I think the obvious choice is, is Sargent up top with, with Reyna and Pulisic, but I do believe that Brendan Aronson, based on what I've been seeing, especially early on in the season with RB Salzburg scoring two very important goals to get them into the Champions League group stage, is starting to close the gap a little bit. And, and starting to prove that he can be somebody you can trust. Right now, he, he feels like he's got that super sub potential. But, yeah. but at some point, as he starts to grow and mature and evolve, he's going to be a guy that we're going to rely on. I, I think that he's going to be pushing Pulisic and Reyna for minutes here in, in the very near future. So I'm excited to see how these – and that's, only, that's a good thing. These are first-world problems to have for yeah. our national team, that we have this type of depth <laughs> at a lot of different positions. But uh, it'll be interesting. Also, from a defensive standpoint, as a former center back, I'm curious to see who he rolls out in his three center backs. I would love to see a Brooks, McKenzie, Miles Robinson, but Tim Ream is in there. He's a good passer of the ball, and uh, he kind of plays similar to Greg Berhalter when Greg Berhalter used to play. So I think there's Z some Zimmerman. Fun. Zimmerman's Zimmerman in there as well. Back, yeah, being back and healthy and, and playing a full 90 minutes for Nashville uh, on his return. Um, I think you're, if I had to guess who that back three will be, I think Zimmerman um, with Brooks and Miles Robinson would probably be my, my preferred uh, threesome. Miles Robinson has really made strides, not just mm -hmm, with the mm -hmm. national team uh, this summer, but with Atlanta, where he he's filled that role in Atlanta that um, Leandro Gonzalez Pires uh, used to fill there. He's a player who, from the back uh, from the back line, can break through lines with his passing, whether it's long balls or keeping it on the ground. I think Miles Robinson could be a big, big wep weapon for this U.S. national team in a three-center-back formation. I just wanted to, to – I got some res residual bitterness because we didn't qualify for the Olympics – and we could have had Miles Robinson and George Bellow a part of that qualifying team, and Atlanta would not let them go compete. I'm still bitter at Atlanta. <laughs> and all the drama that you're going through right now, yeah, it's called karma, okay? Yeah, so Jimmy, next time Jimmy, you let Miles Robinson and George Bellow go play for their national teams at any level, all right? Okay, I'm done. Yeah. Next, Jimmy's not, Jimmy's not forgetting that one, and we're going to hear that one no. a lot. All right, let me play devil's advocate here, boys. Uh, Jimmy brought up a good point before you even joined, Dre. Listen. World Cup qualifiers, back again for the USMNT. We know what happened, obviously, uh, in terms of trying to get to Russia. One of the biggest obstacles for the USMNT, I feel, as an outsider, objective view, is that, especially away from home, there was kind of, um, uh, I wouldn't say so much a disregard, but not understanding just the importance of making sure that you deliver away from home. So you begin World Cup qualifiers, Drake Cordero, away from home against El Salvador, a team, by the way, that does look, it's talented. 
I mean, they don't have all the pieces, but they did just throw a little something. And then Jimmy mentioned earlier as well, only six uh, of these players in the squad have only been previously played in a qualifier. That could be a major factor. What do you make of that, Drake Cordero? Because yeah, do, no, do, you, do you think that's the biggest obstacle? I think it's a very fair question. If you look at sort of the history of U.S. soccer, I think you could always sort of apply the the, the question, um, is this team a little too naive, right, when it comes to, to World Cup qualifying, when it comes to play, playing against uh, – I can't use the term here, but blank housery uh, throughout CONCACAF. And, and you can say it, right? I don't know if you can because you want to keep that I'm, cool play by I'm play. Brand new. You know, yeah. just, just got here. Just got to see me sports. Absolutely fine. <laughs> Mier the housery is how we like to say it. All right. I think uh, ask, ask me when we get into the city, ask stuff, uh, you know, post September 12th, and maybe I'll be a bit more comfortable or switch up the languages like Jimmy did. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good question to, to ask whether, you know, they have that that savviness, right? When you have 20 players will be making their World Cup qualifying debuts, and, and El Salvador is a really fun team to start out with, right? Hugo Perez has transformed not, not just the roster, right? Because he's gone out and got these, you know, second and third generation um, Hispanic Americans um, from across MLS and elsewhere to join this team. Uh, they, they play a really good, exciting brand of football. They're proactive. They really took it to Mexico um, at the Gold Cup, probably deserved to win that game um, and came up just short. And so I think it's a very legitimate question to say, how do these, how does this crop of 20, uh, you know, World Cup qualifying debutants react when things don't go as planned in somewhere like San Salvador or away to Honduras. I think at home, you know, they'll be more comfortable, obviously. They, they've played throughout the summer, uh, big matches, against, two finals against Mexico, for example. But I don't think we have an answer until we actually see that. I think that what's different probably about this group um, versus teams of the past is that these guys are playing pretty significant roles on big European teams mm. where, where they are dealing with, if not the same, similar kind of things where, where other teams are trying to knock them down a peg, right? This isn't, you know, uh, Brian McBride at Fulham. This is, you know, with all the respect to McBride and Fulham, these are players who are on Champions League uh, contending teams going up against, you know, teams that they're favored against and having to deal with that sort of stuff. And, and in that sense, what they did this summer, I, I really do think build this team's chemistry in a way that you can't microwave, right? You need to go through, uh, you know, finals against Mexico, wholesale changes to the rosters and still have success to have that mental toughness to deal with what's ahead of them against uh, El Salvador and Honduras away from home. But I do want to give a, a a little bit of, of credit to Hugo Perez, one of the sort of great U.S. national team players that never really gets brought up, uh, one of those real magic sort of special players that we used to have, who, who's gone out and done what I think a lot of people wanted U.S. soccer to do for a long time, is go find those second and third generation Hispanic American players and incorporate them into the national team. Done that to an extent. El Salvador have done that with some real success. No, yeah. I want to concur with those sentiments from Jay about Hugo Perez. I think uh, he doesn't get the recognition and respect that he deserves, given what he achieved during his playing career. And then post-career as a coach, I just feel like, to your point, he's done a lot of the grassroots efforts, I think, to really try to identify and and and, and that that talent that maybe doesn't get the, the looks that they deserve. So I, I have nothing but respect for him, and I am very proud of his success. That said, we still have to beat him. Uh, now, now I do want to say I, I, I am 100% on board with where you're going with, with our best players playing in Europe and at the biggest clubs and all that stuff. But I would 1,000%, maybe my bias is showing because I played with him, have Brian McBride on this squad than any yeah. other striker we have available. I should have singled him out. I, well, no, no, that's I'm glad you did because I think that I'm a guy that only played in MLS, okay? And so there's a lot of like, oh, MLS is trash. And Clint Dempsey and I were the only two guys uh, well, let me say it like this. In the 2006 World Cup, we were the two highest rated players to come back from that. It wasn't a great World Cup, but we showed well, us two. 
and we only had MLS experience. And so what I learned throughout that process is it doesn't matter what you did before and it doesn't matter what you're going to do after. It's a matter of whether you're ready when the whistle blows or not. And if you're ready to cope with what's coming at you, whether it's at home, whether it's away, and that's going to prove to be the biggest difference. Ultimately, though, I agree with you, Dre. I'm not trying to, to uh, no, you, put, actually, put you on, you just, put you you on just the just raised my level of anxiety tremendously because <laughs> of the 2006 World Cup. And I was yes. there in Gelsenkirk in, um, against uh, the Czech Republic. Czech Republic. Yeah. Where Jan Kohler is being stretched off and we're losing 3-0. So thanks thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. well, me and Clint didn't play that one. So I'll just throw that out there. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so, I love it. I so, love so, it. What I'll add to this is, the only other narrative that I think is interesting with this particular group of players is that I think they had a lot to prove before the summer started. And now we've come in and not necessarily completely displaced Mexico as the top team in CONCACAF, but I think we put our flag in the ground and saying, hey, we're here to challenge for this title. We're here to challenge for this throne. And we've proven it in two different competitions with two completely different teams. And now I want to see how we handle being a favorite. And we were always going to be the favorite against El Salvador, but, but, there were times when people thinking, oh, Canada's catching up to us and they're going to be a tough test. So it's, it's, it's a different mentality. I think as Americans, we just love being the underdog. We love like having to fight and doing all that type of stuff. But now we get into this spot where we're starting to have to be the ones that have to be proactive. We have to go make the game. Everybody else is going to sit back. And I want to see how this group handles that being the favorites and, and that kind of tagline. Because I think Greg Berhalter naturally is like, we're the underdogs here. Mexico's the top dogs. And now you've done it. You've proven it. Now now what's next? And now this is obviously yeah. going to be a big step for us. He has to keep saying that. The hunger must remain mm-hmm. in order because this is actually, you kind of almost really, you have to forget about the summer now because this is now yep. where it begins yep. Yep. in a whole new chapter. Right, we're going to take a quick break. If you're listening on audio, uh, hold with us. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, we're right back. All right. So Kego Lasso, USMNT roster, World Cup qualifiers. We'll be right back. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS. Monday, 9, 8 central. On CBS. And streaming on Paramount+. Plus. This is Sandra Herrera from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAFW Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Kego Lasso. We got Jimmy Conrad, Dre Cordero in the house. Uh, we talked to USMNT. I want to finish things up here with uh, just the overall region, because it is worth mentioning El Tri and Mexico. And as successful as the USMNT were this summer, it was disastrous for Mexico and Tata Martino's project, not only to lose uh, the Nations League in the way that it was a tremendous final, but also the Gold Cup, because yes, of course, plenty of those players were at the Olympics, but still it was a relatively strong team. And they couldn't win at the Gold Cup. So, Drake Cordero, let me throw it to you first. How 
important as much as it is for Greg Berhalter and co, because obviously they want to return to the World Cup. How important is it for Mexico now to kick things right? Well, it's not important. It's an obligation, right? And it always is an obligation for Mexico to win, especially in this region, to finish first, to beat the United States, to, to continue to dominate. And they have the player pool to do it. It's, a, it's still a very, very talented uh, Mexico team. They, they fielded a strong side um, in the uh, final against uh, the U.S. In, in Denver in that Nations League. Um, and you could make the argument, could have won it, should have sent it into extra time, if not for the heroics uh, by Horvath. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's an obligation for Mexico. They'll still feel, you know, I don't think one summer is going to change the the, the Mexican mentality of being the sort of the hegemon of this region. I think they still expect uh, when they line up against anybody in CONCACAF and, and to be fair, a lot of teams outside of the region as well, that Mexico can play better, can outscore them and, and can beat them. I think there's, they're doing a bit of soul searching now, though, because Tata Martino is arguably the best manager uh, in the region. He, he came in with all of this all of these accolades and all of this experience. I think you go back to what he did with Paraguay, uh, Copa America, all the way back in 2011. And he had this, this um, propensity to, to get the most out of teams that were okay and turn them into way more than okay. Well, Mexico are supposed to be the, the top dogs in the region, and they've now underperformed in back-to-back finals against the United States. And so how does that, considering that they're still going to go into it thinking they're favorites, um, you know, is that in the back of their mind now if they're, in the, if they're down 1-0 against the United States? It's a, it's a permissive... Um, World Cup qualifying process because you're going to get three and a half teams in and there are, you know, USA and Mexico are probably within that scope. Uh, What I do want to touch on, though, is we talk about, for for example, with uh, Peru and and the Comable World Cup qualifiers as being the most exciting uh, process of World Cup qualifying in the world because, you know, it's over three years long. It's 10 teams. I think this is CONCACAF stumbling across an even better format. And uh, just follow me on this journey for a second, right? Because in the span of seven months, you have eight teams. It's supposed to be six, and you know they sort of back into this better format. Um, eight teams in the octagonal, competing for three and a half spots in the span of seven months. That's like if you take the Comable World Cup qualifiers and condense them down to half a year. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how Mexico and the U.S. and, and the teams that are favorites are going to react to that uh, when they're playing, you know, three game windows. I think it's a, it's a big challenge for them, especially when you're expected to win, uh, and you're going to have, you know three games in successive fashion, meaning you're going to have to rotate your squad a bit more. I think you can get caught out in this format easier than what was intended to be, you know, sort of a longer process with this final hexagonal. Yeah, I'm going to jump in. Go ahead, Jim. No, no, I just wanted to say, uh, Jay makes some good points about Mexico. If Tata Martino is looking at this and removes all the emotion around the games and the finals, and, and if Greg Berhalter, the U.S. manager, goes and looks at it the same way, the difference really was between the two teams was, was set pieces. Mexico had the lead in the Nations League final with 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left, and then all of a sudden Weston McKinney scores, and, and we do just enough. Actually, both goals. Giorena got his goal, too, off of a set piece. Set pieces, and then we got the penalty. All three of the goals we scored in the Nations League final, set pieces, and, of course, Horvath made that save. And then we fast forward to the Gold Cup final. Miles Robinson scores on a set piece. We can even go to the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah. And it's a set piece that ends up winning it for us. The MLS All-Stars over Liga MA Keys All-Stars. There's something there about set pieces. And I think the margins are very fine there. Because in a lot of those games, I thought Mexico, maybe not so much the Gold Cup final, but definitely in the Nations League final, where I thought Mexico were the better team for a good portion of it. And then Christian Pulisic was actually pretty quiet. Now, we remember him ripping his shirt off after he scored the, the penalty and he's shushing everybody. And an amazing, iconic photo and an iconic moment for sure in our national team program. But when you look at the balance of the game and you go back and watch it, Mexico, we're, we're really dictating the terms there, and, and we got to feel fortunate that we were you know, switched on for some set pieces. So I don't think the margins are too different between the two teams, but we did show, as we already talked about, 
propensity now to cope with some adversity and figure out ways to win. Those two teams for me are the top. For me, I think Canada is the surprise team is number three. Costa Rica still relying on an old group of players. Brian Ruiz stands out for me. Honduras is doing the same. Panama is doing the same. Those three teams are still in that identity crisis. We've got these older guys that we're hanging on to, but they're not the same as they used to be. And we got our younger guys that aren't really pushing those old guys out. And the U.S. was there for a little bit in some of our 2018 World Cup qualifying. where We had some of the same issues where our younger guys just weren't ready and our older guys were getting a little bit too old. We're seeing that now with those teams. I think Canada is going to move up into that third spot. I think John Herdsman, the manager, has done a great job with them. I thought they were very competitive in the Gold Cup. And I think that uh, that's going to be a tough game, not only for us in this first uh, iteration of World Cup qualifying, but for every team. And I actually think Canada is going to book that third spot. And then that fourth spot's wide open between the teams I mentioned. El Salvador, maybe I'll give them an outside shot. But uh, I just think that one of those Costa Rica, Honduras, or Panama will get that fourth spot. Yeah, much context needs to be added here, by the way, as of course the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A are basically, not basically, they are uh, not allowing certain players to travel, of course. And that's a major issue for Jamaica. By the way, you know, a team that's looking to reinvent itself once again, Raul Jimenez, Hector Herrera, players like that. You know, you have to watch out to see what happens as that develops as Europe, of course, continues to deal with the red list that they have, the the respective red list uh, in accordance to what's going on for the rest of the world. That's another thing. And by the way, FIFA reduced uh, the ban on Mexico from uh, multiple matches, obviously, because of the homophobic chant to just one, to just one, which is... uh, well, I, it's kind of a joke. Uh, what do you think here? Uh, both of you, I'll throw it to both of you. What do you think? Yeah, it's yeah. not a surprise. We knew that on appeal, they, they would uh, reduce. You know, there was a good question. Uh, this actually goes back to the Nations League when they started implementing uh, this protocol. And you, you know, the cynic in you immediately asks, well, like, how serious are they? Are they going to take a strong stance on this? And I think in the back of your head, you're always thinking, probably not that serious. It just it depends on whether or not it costs them money. Yeah. Jimmy? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, the the big, it, it's it's a joke. I uh, I don't think it's. You want to see your governing body back up the original ban at the very least, you know, and and say, hey, we we believe in what you're trying to do, and we're gonna back it up as it goes. Like, ah, eh, nah, you, you know, we'll go we'll go a little bit less. You're like, what? It's just it's just defies logic for me, and I don't understand, you know, some of the decisions that are made by FIFA, UEFA, Concacaf. I mean, all the government. It happened bodies. again at the All Star Game, right? It's not it as did. if like, oh, well, you're. It's time, yep. time out for good behavior. Well, not really. We saw it again. It wasn't the national team, but we saw it happen again at the uh, MLS All Star Game. It's, it's yep. it, it. They need to figure out a stronger way to do it, and the way to do that is to not allow fans into the game. That will get it done, but yep. but you know, money ultimately dictates a lot of decision making. So here we are. I think that's the best way to uh, really conclude it, to uh, food for thought, everybody. But the USMNT, the rosters out, the World Cup qualifiers are coming up. You can make sure that you watch it on Paramount Plus, Drake Cordero, play-by-play Serie A as well. Drake, how do you feel about that, by the way? Very quickly on Serie A. Exciting stuff, huh? I fell in love with that league covering it for some six odd years at um, at BN Sports. Uh, it's got the best cast of characters that you'll find anywhere in world football, from the ownership to the players themselves. And, and all of that aside, if you just take away all the personality, strip away all the history, all of the things that make Serie A great, and you just just focus on the football, on the product, on the pitch, I would argue it's the most exciting league uh, in Europe and has been for the better part of a decade. Big statement, Drake Cordero. I'm not going to agree with you, but big statement right there. <laughs> you can be wrong. It's okay. <laughs> But anyway, one thing we cannot deny is the genius of Drake. I'm so happy you're part of this team, my friend. Thank you so much for being Drake part of it. Drake Cordero. Get in. 
Bancor, <laughs> Before to see you guys. <laughs> and of course, my brother in arms, Jimmy Conrad. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Great to see you, Dre and LME and everybody listening. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much. Don't forget to follow, click, like, subscribe, spread the word. We're an Apple podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, CBS Sports, and your CBS Sports app. Have a great, great rest of your week. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made it PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.